Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. We have some economic news to talk about today, some financial stuff. But before we get to that, as I bring in Marvin Ryder from the Negroot School of Business, that song was appropriate. Uh, someone I know is having an important birthday this weekend. Yes. So happy birthday. Thank you so much. Yes, turning 6-0. Wow. Which in, how much is that in Canadian? <laughs> it's better in Zimbabwean currency. I think it's $60 million if you do it that way. <laughs> all presents, all gifts, all financial things can be sent to the DeGroot School of Business, care of Marvin Ryder. Exactly. Um, the bigger, the better. Exactly. My Cayman Island accounts await. <laughs> the Bank of Canada, as we get to uh, non-birthday news, the Bank of Canada has raised its benchmark interest rate this week. It's only up by a quarter point. Right. A lot of people, they hear about this, uh, they kind of just turn it into gray noise in the back of their head because they don't really, they know what happens when their interest rate for their mortgage or whatever else goes up. What is the significance of this? Why is this a big deal? Yeah. Well, let me come at this a couple of ways, if you don't mind. One is, it's just a continuing signal that the Canadian economy is getting stronger. When we had that big recession back in 2007 and eight. The Bank of Canada did everything in its power to help stimulate that economy, and that included slashing its uh, lending rates. And it was right down. The lowest it got was 0.5%. Just half a percent is what it charged the other major banks. The other major banks added a markup. And you could get mortgages uh, during that that good time, I guess I'll call it, down as low as 25 2.75%. Starting about 18 months ago, the Canadian economy took a good, hard turn uh, to the better, things were getting stronger, and so the Bank of Canada says we don't need to stimulate that economy as much. It's kind of on its own. It doesn't need all that life support. So slowly, over the 18 months, we've seen now five, count them five, 0.25% rate increases. What had been 05 percent from the Bank of Canada is now 1.75%. And if you had a closed mortgage or a fixed mortgage during that time, you haven't seen any change. But if you had an open mortgage or you had a line of credit, you've noticed that your rate has ticked up a little bit. It's now uh, a full one and a quarter percent higher, and that means that you can get a mortgage today no longer in the two and a half percent range, probably not even as of today in the three percent range, more likely in the low four percent range. And I know people get all upset about this. Oh my gosh, you know, if you have a $300,000 mortgage and I'm paying another 1% of interest, that's $3,000 a year. Ooh, 1.25 is actually $3,600 a year. That adds up to something like another $125 a month. That, you know, that can, that can add up quickly. The only consolation I can tell you, Scott, is A, the economy is getting stronger, and B, even with this rate increase today, we are still below the average that we've seen in Canada since Confederation. Typically, mortgages in Canada over that period of time were running 5 5.5%, 5%, 6%. So if you get a mortgage in the 4% range, it's still a pretty darn good deal. When would it, in your mind, begin to sting for people? I mean, I suppose if it's 120, 125 bucks a month, that stings a little bit if it does go up. But at what point do you start looking at a lot of these people who have bought these houses, especially in the Toronto area where it's, I mean, you're buying a low-end house for a million dollars and you're saying, well, I'll just deal with it. When does this become something that we get concerned about? 
So a couple of things on that. One, uh, even though I say it's more interest, it doesn't actually mean the amount you're paying has changed. It just means the amount that's going towards interest has gone up. That means you're paying off the principal less quickly. It means you're going to be in debt even longer. So that's the good news. We aren't seeing people giving up their houses, but it's just that they're not getting out of debt as fast. In terms of the sting, it really depends upon what did you do. If you took as much house as you could possibly afford and, you know, you are just barely covering all ends, then even 1% could send you back into trouble. I think for most people it's more likely when it grows up to 2% or 3% higher than it was before, back truly into that normal range, and we don't foresee that anytime soon. Let me spin this another way if I can. There's one more setting of the Bank of Canada rate this year. That's in early December. There's another one in early January of 2019. We are expecting no movement on either one of those. The next one after that is March, something like March the 9th. That may be, if we have another one, that may be when the next one hits. So as long as we do these increases slow, say every four, five, six months, and steady, I think people will be able to adapt to it. We're not going up as fast as we went down back in 2007-8. Yet the governor of the Bank of Canada has said that he wants it to be between 25 and 3.5%, which would be another three of those quarter-point increases. Why is 25 to 3.5% the ideal? Well, that's back to, A, it's back to the historical normal, and that's where we consider then the economy is now running full steam and we don't have to do any kind of life support. We don't have to do anything that way. And the other reason is, of course, we are not going to go without another recession sooner or later. And in fact, I don't mean to scare anybody as we're talking, Scott, but the typical different distance, excuse me, distance between recessions is 10 years. And oh, mate, wait a minute, it was 10 years ago we had the last recession. So there's likely going to be another one, and that next one is likely going to be sooner rather than later. And now he'd have wiggle room. So if he can get back to normal, then if a recession hits, or more likely when a recession hits, he'll have the wiggle room to stimulate the economy again. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Marvin, earlier this week and today even more, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau has talked about the carbon tax that he is going to be imposing. I guess that's the right word, imposing on the provinces, because a bunch of them have said they don't want to do this. And he has said that basically you, the average Canadian, you are going to receive back more than you're paying on this. You're going to see a rebate, an average household of $300 or more. And I'm very confused by this because I fail to understand how a government can tax people into wealth. Right. So let's come at this ever so slightly differently, if you don't mind. Uh, You have to begin this whole concept with the idea that somehow carbon dioxide is evil, that our humans increase in carbon dioxide is responsible for climate change, and thus we need us humans to pull back on carbon dioxide. Now, that's a story that most people should know, and you'd like to think most people are doing the right thing in reducing their carbon dioxide emissions, but every study says we're not doing this. So how do I motivate people to do this? One method to do this is a carbon tax. In essence, I make people pay for the carbon dioxide you are spewing. And if you have to pay for it, maybe you don't like paying for it, and then you'll reduce the amount that you you release. The other method that was tried, cap and trade, that was done by the provincial government. The idea there was we put a cap on the amount of it, then every year we reduce that a little bit. And if you are really efficient, you get extra credits that you can trade to someone who's not as efficient. That was the other way to do it. But uh, we had that system in Ontario. We were not going to have a carbon tax. Doug Ford canceled cap and trade. And so welcome, carbon tax. Going to appear April 1st. 2019, a wonderful April Fool's Day joke. Hmm. Going to hit there. Now, what does that mean for you? Well, initially, the carbon tax is $20 a ton on carbon dioxide. It'll add about four and a half cents a liter. 
to gasoline purchase, a little less than four cents per cubic meter of natural gas. Great. Now, next problem, it's not going to stop at $20. Over the next four years, it's going to go up at the rate of $10 a ton. So by 2023, it'll be $50 a ton. You can start doing the math. If it was $0.04 cents when it was 20 when you get to 50 you'll probably be adding about $0.11 cents per liter to gasoline. And at that point, it begins to hurt. And the whole concept here is that you might say, well, when I need the next car, I'm going to buy a hybrid or an electric-powered vehicle. And here's the interesting part of it. What do you do with the money it generates? Now, under Kathleen Wynne and cap-and-trade, the money generated went into a slush fund, for lack of a better term, but out of that was going to be money if you were going to build bicycle lines, if, uh, say, a school needed to be retrofitted for energy efficiency, we had money to do that. If you cancel cap and trade, we cancel the slush fund, and we've already seen many, many different organizations who thought they were going to have money to do things lose that. The federal one is different. The federal one says the money we take from citizens, we're going to give back to citizens. Okay, that's nice. And they say it's not going to be based actually on the amount of carbon dioxide you use. It'll be based on your income. So that a poor person who may not have a car or may have a very small house, you may actually get back more carbon tax than you pay. However, if you're a richer individual with a big house and a big car, you may not get back all of it. And in the, it's kind of like a casino here. The government's going to rake in the money, keep 10% to fund some other programs and give back 90%. Some people will be better off, some won't be. Now, when I did an interview yesterday on this, the minister's assistant overheard me, and I said, isn't this interesting because you're going to have all the pain of the carbon tax before next fall's federal election. You won't have the rebates until April of 2020. He stepped up afterwards and said, Mr. Ryder, you need to know that we're going to give you, get this, this is a new term for you, Scott, prebates. We're going to give you prebates. So in April 2019, before you've even spent $1 on carbon tax, you're going to get a rebate uh, in 2019. So prebate is essentially another word for bribe. It could be another word for bribe or another way to cushion the blow. And, and I think this is fascinating. You can do the math. Uh, they're probably going to have to borrow a billion dollars to give you a prebate. And that's supposed to then, I guess, buy your vote back from this. But in all seriousness, we have to do something about carbon dioxide. And so I'm still waiting. Mr. Ford says that even though he canceled cap and trade, he's going to do something. And if he does the right thing, we may not have carbon taxes in Ontario. He says he's going to announce it by December 31. I am waiting with bated breath to hear what his big vision is to reduce carbon dioxide. And it all, look, the Trudeau government, the way they're doing it might be uh, uh, great. It may not, whatever. But it, to me, it's disingenuous because the idea that we are somehow coming out ahead overlooks, in my mind, the fact that, well, all the companies that produce food have to drive, drive food around and deliver it, the cars, the gas, everything. We're going to be paying. They're not going to absorb these costs. They're going to pass it on to the consumer. So we may get a rebate, but we're going to be paying a lot more for a lot of things. Well, right. But the person who's scared mostly by that is someone who's a, a poor individual, someone who's just sort of barely making ends meet now. So to hear that I'm going to get back much of the tax I'm paying softens the blow a little bit. And yet I would also say to people, this can't be revenue neutral. We're hurting the environment today. We've got to spend some money, and, and we've got to change our behaviors. If you don't like the carbon tax, I've got an easy way for you to not pay it. Just don't use carbon-based energy. Cycle to work. Walk to work. Use public transit. Find some alternatives. Or think about a hybrid car or an electric car. 
uh, put more insulation in your house, change your windows, get more energy-efficient appliances, it will not hurt you as much. These are things we should have been doing anyway, but now that there's a carbon tax, we're incented in a way that we've never been incented before, and that's really what's behind all of this. That is Marvin Ryder. He has a birthday on Saturday. Send him presents. Non-carbon-based presents. Yes. Nothing that consumes carbon. Nothing. No carbon, please. No, please. Appreciate you doing this. Happy birthday. Anytime. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Now, if reports from earlier this week are to be believed, and, and everything I've found says it's true, I don't believe this is a hoax. CNN has covered it. The Guardian has covered it. Everybody's covered this story. I believe it to be true. Sometime by about 2022, you will be able to book a cruise on Titanic 2. I'm not making this up. I swear to you, these are the reports that are out there. Australian billionaire, there's a guy in Australia, uh, Clive Palmer, who's a mining magnate. He's got lots and lots and lots of money. He says he is building an exact replica of the world's most famous ship right down to, well, everything but the lifeboats. I guess they're going to have modern lifeboats, which would probably be a good idea all things considered. Anyway, according to what we're reading, uh, the Blue Star Line, which he owns, which is a clever thing since the Titanic was the White Star Line, uh, according to this, cruisers who go on Titanic 2 someday down the road will get, and this is in quotes, this is his exact quote, an authentic Titanic experience. Now, (laughs) I'm not sure that's exactly what anybody really wants. Um, Let's say part of an authentic Titanic experience may have been a better marketing campaign, but anyway, it makes me wonder if this is a good idea or not a good idea or something in between. Sherry Laskin is a contributor to Cruise Radio, and she is the creator of CruiseMaven.com. It's a terrific website. If you like cruising, if you're interested in the cruising lifestyle, that kind of vacationing, it's a wonderful website to go check out CruiseMaven.com. She joins me now. Sherry, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you for coming on today. Um... What was your thought when you heard the idea of Titanic 2? Oh, it was kind of uh, morbid, <laughs> actually. I, I really didn't care much for the idea. But, you know, it's it's pretty exciting, I guess, if people have this nostalgia for the old days and maybe someone's looking to make a quick buck off of this. I, I don't know. It remains to be seen if it actually does get built. Um, and, you know, as I was thinking about this before our phone call, I started to wonder, well, would I go on that ship? And mm. I thought, yeah, you know, this really sounds like something that, you know, once it has that first sailing, maybe, but <laughs> I wouldn't want to be on the inaugural. Now, I've got a lot of things I want to get to, but let me go back for just a second to what you said a moment ago, because I, I, my first thought, too, was what you just suggested, and that was, it kind of sounds cool, but there's something almost ghoulish about it, in a way. It is, and, and you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's ghoulish. I guess that's the best word to think of, but I don't know what people would think when they step on board. You know, are they going to dress in, in Victorian garb and look like the people that, you know, boarded in, in way back in 1912? Or are they going to, you know, be a modern feel to it, even though it's a replica? So I don't know. It's, it, I think everybody would be a little nervous. I would be, wouldn't you? Well, if the if the string quartet started playing "Nearer My God" to thee, I am <laughs> running for a lifeboat. I'll tell you that much. That would that song would have to be banned from the playlist. I think. 
Well, you know, and I wish they would ban uh, My Heart, you know, the, the Titanic <laughs> theme song on yeah. cruise ships, and they always play it, and it's like, what are you thinking? That, that's, I, I once was on a cruise and walked by a guy who was reading a book on the deck of the world's great shipwrecks, and I, same thought. <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm not exactly sure I follow your line of thinking here, but... Um, okay, so... <laughs> There's so many things about it. you said you would you would would this be something beyond the inaugural? Would this be something that would intrigue you? I think it would be. You know, I've looked at the the specs for what uh, how it's supposed to be designed, and it's really amazing looking. Um, yeah, so I would I would go on the ship. I still would be a little bit um, nervous <laughs> about it, and, and and count the steps to the lifeboats from my stateroom. <laughs> But I think it would be an interesting experience once they, you know, once they get all the the little hiccups out of it mm. and figure out how to manage this so that people, you know, so you get beyond the fear and beyond the, the ghoulishness of the whole thing and, and really enjoy the experience. Wouldn't it have to, though, as you suggested, wouldn't for this to work, for this to be something that people would get that experience, it would have to be with the crew dressed in Victorian garb. And I mean, it it has to almost be like you would step on board and be back in time. Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah, it it would be sort of like a a time capsule. And it sort of reminded me of when um, the Venice Simplon Orient Express started up. And everybody dressed in period clothes, and they had these, you know, beautiful white borzoi dogs on a leash looking like they were royalty and everything. So I I have a feeling, like you just said, they're going to have to, at least in the beginning, do something kitschy and, and reminiscent just to get the whole ambiance going. Well, and, and, you know, my cynicism and my skepticism and everything aside, and maybe yours as well, it, that would be kind of neat. If you could step on board and truly feel like you've just gone back in time and this is really what it was like, that would be kind of a neat experience. I would think especially if you had a first-class ticket. Not sure how neat it would be if you were in steerage or, th- or third Ooh. class, but no, but I mean, it's true. And, and if they're going to be consistent, and they apparently are right down to the third class, uh, I'm not sure how much of a, a love boat experience this is going to be if you're if you're down in the bowels of the ship eating gruel. I don't know. You have to bring a, you know a fiddle and and some <laughs> <laughs> some dancing shoes. I think like in the movie just to keep your spirits up if you're way down there in in the third class. But yeah, like you said, they're going to be doing the first, second, and third class tickets. So. I don't know. I wouldn't want to be in steerage on that ship, at least not for a while, or at least until, like I said, I can count the steps to get off the ship to a lifeboat. Well, when we come back after our break, I want to ask you about what modern cruising is, different from this. But, I mean, this is, we don't have, people who will be going on the ship, presuming it ever happens, are not going to be Irish peasants coming over to the New World. Uh, And so I do think, who is going to want to spend whatever the time period is it's going to take to cross the Atlantic in the basement of a ship where you don't have access to the entire ship. I, I, that part, I get it if you have a first-class ticket. The rest, I'm not really sure how that's going to work. I don't either, unless they try to sell that as, as you know, like a crazy ride. You know, they hmm. give some bargain basement pricing and they dare you to try the steerage on the new Titanic too. That, that would be the only way I could think they, they could possibly sell that. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Talking about Titanic 2, this is a real thing apparently. A Australian billionaire is building a replica of Titanic that you will be able to take a vacation on. And just during the break there, I was thinking about what actually happens 
when you get to the spot, if you're going from Southampton to New York and you get to the spot where the original Titanic sank, surely they've got to do some sort of announcement or something to mark that. And I'm like, what do you do in modern cruising? Ladies and gentlemen, if you would not mind stopping your limbo contest and put down your bingo cards for a moment, because here's where 1,500 people died and... Okay, back to the buffet. I mean, I don't, what, what do you do? How do you, what do you, I'm not sure. It's very confusing. It's very confusing. So thankfully, here to help me sort through this is Sherry Laskin from CruiseMaven.com and Cruise Radio. Sherry, what would you do to mark the this, this spot? You, you would have to do something respectful. Well, they do, and I've done, I don't fly, so I'm, I have to rely on transatlantics to get back and forth to Europe, and some of the, some of the, um, the ships will, go within maybe 50 nautical miles, and they do make an announcement. Um, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, it's always during the middle of the night when we get mm. to the spot, which is just, uh, it's closest to Newfoundland. Um, and they, they talk about it in the captain's speech in the morning, and then they say around 2.30, when you're sleeping, we'll be passing within X amount of miles of where the Titanic sank. Um, but aside from that, yeah, then it's just back to the buffet and everything else mm. is normal. But it does, you know, it does make you think a little bit, at least it does for me, when I'm going to bed that night thinking, wow, you know, we're right, where are, the, where are those icebergs? Because I've done some December crossings and they, the captain makes jokes about icebergs and things like that. But, um, yeah, and you do stop and at least... I think most people do stop and give pause to what happened. Do, have you ever stayed up until then? Like, do people go on the deck for this, or is it just it happens now and we just go past? Yeah, it just happens and hmm. you go past. A few years ago, um, they did have a special cruise that was to commemorate the, the or memorialize this, the, the sinking, and they did ring the bell at a certain time. Um, you know, the ship's bell. But aside from that, it's pretty much business as usual, except for mentioning how close you are to where the ship sank. So if you build a ship like this, and it sounds like they're going to, my big question is, is this what modern cruise vacationers, travelers want? Because it seems to fly in the face of what literally every other new, brand new cruise ship that's hitting the water is offering. They're all about scale and size and modern technology and huge luxuries and everything else. This seems to be the opposite of that. Yeah, and they're pretty much going to construct it like a, an ocean liner rather than the proverbial cruise ship that looks pretty top-heavy. Um, it will have less, less passengers. They say uh, 2,435 passengers. So it will be smaller than some of these mega monster ships that are out there. But um, they're going to also do some things like put on four funnels, um, you know, which would look like the original Titanic. But from what I can um, discover about this, only two will actually be working ones. Um, so that's going to be kind of different. Most ships don't have four funnels The others are anymore. decorative. Yeah, they're decorative. And they'll have um, kind of interesting, they're going to put a viewing area inside one of the funnels so you can get up above the deck and sort of look out at the water. <laughs> some strange plans here. I, I mean, I, I wonder if, though, if the the fact that it's so different, while while it, as I say, while it flies in the face of what I think most people are looking for now, because we've grown accustomed to when you go on a cruise ship, this is what you're going to get. This is going to not be that. But I'm wondering if because it's so unique, if that will make it stand out and some people will say, yeah, you know what, I'm not going to be sitting on the deck just sipping drinks and reading my book all the time I'm gonna, or in the pool, whatever. I wonder if it'll be unique enough that it would be able to survive as a business. 
I think, you know what, I really do think this might actually work. I was pretty skeptical at first, but if, if you know, I don't know the price points yet, but it's a smaller size vessel, and some people that maybe go on some of the luxury cruises, they would think this is kind of unique because there would be a parallel, right, between the luxury of, say, Crystal or Seaborn or whatever to a Titanic too. And I think I think it will attract people who just want to see what it was like and experience the, the beautiful woodwork mm. and the, even the place settings are replicas of what was originally used. So he's going to great extremes to make you feel like you are on the original Titanic. Yeah, they're saying this one is going to be built for roughly $500 million, which surprises me a little because it seems that most of the new ships are coming in closer to a billion. So if he can do this, I suppose, maybe, I mean, it is a lot smaller, right? So maybe that's why he's able to do this. But um, Today Show, the Today Show was talking about this the other day, and they found that 65% of people said they have no interest in going on this. I don't know whether that's because of superstition and because of what you said earlier. It's like, uh, I'm not really sure if I really want to take that chance or I don't know why, but it may be a hard sell. I don't know. It sounds very cool, but it may be a hard sell. Yeah. And of that 65%, how many have never taken a cruise Mm. or how many are land, uh, land land-based vacationers? So I, I don't know what the statistics would actually shake out to be, um, if if you if you narrow down your your focus to past cruisers and would they go again? Well, you know? Sherry, just to set your mind at ease, if Cruise Radio or Cruise Maven <laughs> decides to send you on this and they ask you to go on the maiden voyage, apparently it's not going to go from Southampton to New York. It's going to be from Dubai to New York for the maiden voyage. So I guess that's just to avoid the icebergs. I'm not really sure, but you could you could avoid that and then just go on the second one. Well, sort of, yeah, and it's going to leave from Dubai, but. I think um, at some point it will be going, you know, the Southampton to New York segment. Yes. Um, but then it's going on a world cruise. Like you mentioned, it's just going to be all over the place. So, yeah, I would go on anything after the first one, <laughs> probably. Would you? I'd be okay with the first one, mostly because what are the odds that it could happen twice? I mean, oh. maybe I'm pushing my luck, but... It would it would be pretty something if Titanic two also hit an iceberg and sank on its maiden voyage. Although yeah, you know it, they do promise the full Titanic experience. So anyway, ooh. that is uh, <laughs> that is Sherry Laskin. She writes uh, for Cruise Maven. That's her website, cruisemaven.com. Go look it up. It's a terrific website. I was looking at it today. Uh, if you know anything or want to know anything about cruising, that is a place to go. And she is on Cruise Radio as well as a contributor. Sherry, thank you so much for doing this today. Thank you so much. This was fun. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Mention off the top that somebody in South Carolina last night won $1.6 billion US. We're telling you how much a billion is. I mean, you know what a billion is, but relatively speaking, compared to a million. I mean, it's it's a massive, unbelievable amount of money that someone overnight, by doing nothing, let's be honest, they, they, a lottery ticket, they didn't really work to get it. They lucked out and good for them. If you got the lottery ticket, good for you. But they have suddenly become overnight one of the richest people on the planet. And some clever journalist down in South Carolina had come up with, well, what could you do with $1.6 billion if you had it? Well, we could come up with all kinds of things, but uh, they pointed out a few things. One is if you want 1.6 billion, and this is US dollars, so it's over 2 billion Canadians. 
your net worth suddenly would eclipse that of Lady Gaga, Jennifer Lopez, and George Clooney combined. That's not bad to start with. All right, you've already taken three of the biggest celebrities on earth and you've basically said, small potatoes, amateurs, out of my league. I'm way out of your league. But anyway, what could you buy with $1.6 billion? Well, you would have a heart. You could buy many, if not most, NHL teams, NHL franchises. You could buy one NFL team, the Buffalo Bills, are valued at roughly $1.6 billion. So you could potentially buy the Buffalo Bills. Now, it better make some money because you won't have any operating capital to be able to work with. So it has to make some cash for you. But you could buy the Bills. You could put yourself into the league of unbelievably rich guys who own NFL teams. For $1.6 billion, you could buy four... Boeing 747s. Each one goes for about $375,000. So you could buy four fully furnished jumbo jets, 747s, and have a little bit of cash left over to fly them. Probably run out of money faster than you would be able to handle it. But nonetheless, you would be able to go down at least with your four planes. Here's one. This will really put into context how much money this is. Lisa, how many friends would you say? How many good friends would you say you have? Uh, Give or take. Uh, 10. 10, 15. Yeah. All right. How many acquaintances would you say you have? People well, that you're friendly with, but you wouldn't necessarily call them friends. How many Facebook friends do okay, I have? Okay. So how many Facebook friends <laughs> would you that. say? Pretty much that. All right. Which is what? It's like 300. Okay. So you could take those 300 and ask them all to give their list of Facebook friends and you could buy every one of those a Lamborghini. You could buy 3,830 Lamborghinis for what this person just won overnight. Almost 4,000 Lamborghinis. That would decrease the value of a Lamborghini, I feel. (laughs) Well, considering they're handmade, it would make the people in the Lamborghini shop have an aneurysm. That too. If you suddenly put in a bulk order for nearly 4,000 Lamborghinis, they would all quit en masse. The most expensive hotel room in New York City is the 50th floor of the Four Seasons Hotel in New York. It costs $30,000 a night, which... What possi- What hotel room could possibly be good enough to be worth $30,000 a night? I mean, I, what do they do in that hotel room? Uh, everything would have to be, you know, diamond encrusted or something like that. Like you'd have to have some sort of 50-year-old red wine pouring out of the water fixtures and... 50? More like like 200. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> I'm trying to think of, you know, what could, a, what could possibly a hotel room have that would be worth $30,000 a night? But you could... Live there for every night for the rest of your life and on and on. You could live there for 150 years with that money that you made. And of course, we're not talking about any interest on this that would make the amount get even higher. You could buy 1.6 million iPhone Xs or iPhone 10s, whichever you wish you wish to call it. Which again, the poor folks in China working in the Apple places... You can choose your own word for how you may want to describe that. Um, They would go nuts. 1.6 million iPhone Xs. You could buy... Now, according to this, it's $2.24 for a box of a dozen pencils. You could buy 8.6 billion pencils. I don't know what what you would do with that. I don't know what you would do with 8.6 billion pencils. But 
if you really wanted to, and I haven't even done the math because this is an American thing, I'd love to know how many double-doubles you could buy. How many how many Tim Hortons coffees could you buy? An ocean of coffee. Well, what is it, two bucks? So, I mean, 1.6 billion, so something like 800 million Tim Hortons coffees, roughly. And that's in American money, so dump it up to probably close to a million Tim Hortons coffees that you could buy. It's a lot. It's a lot of stuff that you could buy with $1.6 billion. Now, where does solving world hunger fall on this list? Well, you know, it's funny you raise that because as crazy as this is, and and I had a note from uh, from Frank says that don't you think it's rather repulsive to offer such a hefty win on one ticket? Well, yeah, I'm not, uh, we'll see what the person who wins it. I, I, I'll, I'll hold fire on how repulsive this is when I see what the person decides to spend it on. Like that's just so much money. You, it's too much money for one person. That's well, of like, course it is. That's the size of a country or of something. Of course it is. And you, so you could have, if you were the lottery, you could have said, you know what? Rather than this, we're going to have one thousand million dollar winners. I think that would have been better. It's not nearly as cool to say, but, but anyway. more people would be happy. Well, uh, more people would have money for sure. Whether that's the equivalent of happiness, I don't know. But nonetheless, but it's interesting you ask that question because I have actually thought about this some night when I'm lying in bed and I can't sleep and you're looking for something that'll try and make you settle down and just go to sleep. I have thought about what, because there was a lottery win that was maybe a year or two ago where someone won over a billion dollars. It was another one of these enormous lotteries. I thought, what would I do if I won a billion dollars? Or if I came across a billion dollars, if any of my unknown relatives out there, if, if Bill Gates is my unknown uncle and he leaves me a billion dollars, what would you do with it? And you know, you're right. There are so many things that you could do to be impactful positively rather than simply like buying a necklace that pulls you down to the ground in its weight in diamonds. Well, because that doesn't actually buy you happiness. Money, you know, if you can buy other people happiness and security and safety... I think that would make you happy. See, I think it would. Although the other possibility would be to go up, to buy that house on Rymel Road, that gigantic house on Rymel Road that's set back from the street. Most people know what I'm talking about. Many people do. Knock it down and build a really big house. Like I'm talking build a house up there where the, it would be like 12 Costco warehouses. Like a castle? Yeah, where, where the Costco warehouse would be the size of my master bedroom. I'd have a driving range in my bedroom. I wouldn't actually. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, but it is just, it is, it is unbelievable to think of 10, sorry, $1.6 billion, billion. Think about this as we go to break, because this is what I eventually came up with that night while I was lying in bed, unable to sleep and just having my brain racing with the thought of a billion dollars. If you started a foundation and you didn't, you put your money into just a, 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 something that got you 5% return every year and you had the $1.6 billion, think about how much you, so one year you let it sit there and then you just take out the interest every year and have a foundation that in Hamilton, just in Hamilton, and you had people who needed a roof or needed whatever come and say, yeah, you know, I don't have the money for a roof. And you go, okay, here you go. How much could you do for like 50 or $75 million a year in this city? Like you would be the greatest thing ever in the city if you could be the person who did that. You would have everything named after you. I hadn't even thought of that. Hmm. 
What do I want named after me? Hmm. Anything. Anything. Have to go you to can my, have the escarpment named I'm after you. I'm going to have to go you. to my Mr. Burns voice. Hmm, what would I like named after me? I'd never actually considered what I would want named after me. I'll give that some thought. I should, I should throw that out there. We should have that as a topic one day. If you had the money, what would you want named after you in this city? Hmm. We'll come back to that one one of these days. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.